From architecture to painting and sculpture, literature to live music and theater, Radio 111 presents Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza with The Desert Scene, your connection to culture and entertainment in the desert cities. Here's Bonnie and Brian. And welcome to The Desert Scene. Good morning on this beautiful Saturday morning. Gorgeous weather. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing much better. I think I think my, uh, the audience can hear that my voice is a lot better now. And so I feel better. I just hate the fact that, like, after you get over a cold, you still have a cough. It's like, yeah. go away. You know, yeah. what, what you're doing here? I had, a, you know, early, in the middle of the week, I've had a little bit of a cold thing going on, congestion and stuff. But it was m- pretty mild and it's basically... It was just a quickie thing. So I want to tell you real quick about this um, movie premiere that Eric and I went to last night. My dear friend Jack Lyons, who is my honorary dad, who I used to co-host a show with back at another radio station. Great guy. He just turned 90 and he looks great. But he's a press guy. He writes uh, film critiques and theater critiques here in L.A. for years. And he got a press... ticket to this the premiere of this movie uh, out of nowheresville that premiered uh, last night at the mary pickford tom sizemore was the star and the platters did the soundtrack and it was really fun it was really interesting very entertaining movie kind of violent lots of shooting and stuff um, but it was all shot locally so you saw the windmills and the the, de- uh, the desert lodge and uh th- there was a character that ends up in the hospital and it was clear it was clear that it was i think it was Eisenhower, but they called it something else. You know, they changed the name of the hospital. Oh, and yeah. they called the area um, Palm Cove instead of Palm Springs. <laughs> um, but it was very interesting. I thought it was uh, very entertaining. And uh, they had the plat- the new platters, of course, the original ones. But the new platters, which has a woman in it, three guys and a woman, got, came out in front of the screen and did a whole little medley before the movie started. Absolutely fabulous. Their harmonies and they are in, featured in the soundtrack of the movie, which really adds a lot to the movie. But thank you to Jack Lyons, my dear friend, my honorary dad. And I have to get this gentleman's name, the uh, writer, director, and producer. Let me find it. Uh, Kevin McVeigh, M-C-V-E-Y. Uh, it's called Out of Nowheresville. It's an independent film and premiered at the Mary Pickford and Tom Sizemore is in it. And it's, you know, it's very interesting. It's, it's I think it's very entertaining. Uh well done you know kind of violent so you know got to know that going in <laughs> but it was all shot locally so it was really fun so thank you to jack thank you to um the platters to tom sizemore to kevin mcveigh and the mary pickford it was a fun evening i'll have to check that movie out like you make you're kind of selling it to me pretty well i was going to say like and they were there the platters you said the plat the the new version the, of the, the platters, platter. no, the young yeah. but fabulous and they just walked out you know the mary pickford yeah there's great seats in the mm-hmm. mary pickford they walked out in front a little stage in front of the screen and acapella did a little medley fabulous just twilight time uh only you all the platters hit absolutely oh. phenomenal really really good oh. it was great i would have Oh, I should have gone to that screening, but that one, but that sounds like a lot of fun, it, like a lot of things happening in was. that screening. It really, and then they had a little question and answer thing afterwards with some, Tom Sizemore was there and some other people in the cast and Manny, the movie guy from NBC did uh, that little question and answer thing. So it was, it was a really fun evening. So thank you, Jack. I'll have to check that out. But you know what? The one thing I did this week that was kind of related to like going out and all that was I saw the McCollum Theater put out a a new ad like i don't know have you gotten the booklet for it yet the, i uh, think we got it i have to double check i got it this week and i saw that bernadette peters was coming to town so i was like i'm gonna buy tickets instantly so i bought some tickets right then and there and i was good for you she's fabulous i, I love her voice she's a hell of a singer yeah i was gushing over her and you know the thing was i was trying to see if they had vip tickets but i guess they don't have vip tickets because of the fact that like 
Well, because of COVID and all that, and also because of could the, be yeah. Because I wanted to meet because I would love to meet Bernadette Peters mm-hmm. and all that because it's one of those things, one of those artists where her music really got to me during the pandemic, like mm-hmm. during that time where I just connected so much with her music that yeah. I just wanted to meet her and be like, "Thank you, Bernadette, you made my yes. isolation yeah. a little bit less difficult." The, you know, the person that I, and I love Bernadette Peters, the person that I love who comes to the McCallum fairly almost every season, and I don't know if she's this year, but is Linda Etter. Do you know who Linda Etter yes, is? Linda Etter. Love Linda Etter. She is, uh, as a singer, um, one of my, perhaps the top idol. I mean, she has, her, her instrument is just amazing. I mean, she has like three or four octaves. I'm just, if you've ever heard her, I have a Christmas CD, and her Christmas CD, she does a version of Silent Night with, it, it's in a round, and she has this core, you know, choir behind her, and it's the mo- perhaps the most beautiful version of Silent Night I've ever heard. Ever, ever, ever. You know, we'll have to have to get that on our uh, Christmas special because that sounds beautiful. She, and hear. she just, I mean, she just has this instrument and very, also very emotional. I mean, she she is, I mean, some people have a beautiful, technically sing beautifully, but you, you don't feel much. Oh, With yeah. her, you have the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. You know, I think Linda Etter and Bernadette Peters are kind of like the types of singers who are brilliant technically you're like that's great but then they also have that emotion in they their voice move the audience yes yes and that's what i love to see but she's just i mean i saw her once at the mccallum years ago one of these days i'm gonna go back and see her again now i wanted to ask you um are you familiar with sarah brightman of course oh my god <laughs> yes would you consider her the type of singer who's more technically brilliant or more so than an emotionally gripping singer because i've heard some criticism you know I haven't seen, you know, I've never seen her live, but I've seen her on PBS specials and that kind of stuff. Um, I'd say she's a little more on the technical side, I think. And she has a beautiful instrument. You know, I personally, I, I mean, obviously she's got a gorgeous voice. I am more partial to a little less operatic sounds. You oh, know, yeah. I mean, Linda Edder's a little more Broadway pop. I mean, she can do the high notes, but um, I think I like Sarah Brightman. I think she's great. Um, but I think she's maybe a little more on the technical side. Oh, okay, I see. So it's more of like, if you're watching a show, you're more likely to notice a Kristen Chenoweth than in Adina Menzel sort of thing, right? Well, uh, well, both of them. But see, both of them are really Broadway, um, you know. And, and I think acting comes... And Sarah Bartman's fabulous. I'm not... Pulling, but if I... Someone said, you want free tickets to see Linda Etter? You want free tickets to see Sarah Bartman? I'm going to Linda <laughs> Etter, So Well, that's what I imagine because like, I... Because for a while, I, I love Sarah Brightman. But n- the reason why I bring this up is because, like, there is a thing of, like, technical versus emotive singers where I've seen some singers who are brilliant from a technical level. Like, their mm-hmm. voice is mastered. But, but you I, don't feel that much. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Brightman, I love her music. But for some reason, like, I listen to the song, Unexpected Song. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Brightman originated that song on Broadway. It's a good version. But for some reason, like... The one time she sang it where she wasn't technically brilliant, like she actually had evidently a weaker voice that day, mm-hmm. it was a much stronger rendition because she put more emotion in that one mm-hmm. rather than like the CD version where she's like technically very, perfect, yeah, technically pr- mm-hmm. perfect and all that. And Bernadette Peters is one of those artists that I would worry that somebody might say her voice is bad, but I've never heard a single people complain, single person complain about her voice. Cause she's that good for em- in emoting. Oh yeah, she 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 can se- sell the heck out of a song, absolutely. Yeah. And like, I think for me the reason why 
I don't connect as much to like Patty Lapone's singing as much is because mm-hmm. of the technicality thing. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like she's brilliant singer. Mm-hmm. But I've seen some of her f- versions of songs where I'm like, I'm not connected to that version. I'm connected more to this other artist version. Mm-hmm. And it's very rare that I prefer like the Patty Lapone version of yeah. things. And then there's people like, um, in my personal opinion, you take. Uh, Edith Piaf, who I never like, uh, <laughs> much too much vibrato. And even Judy Garland, especially in her later years. Judy Garland, in my opinion, wasn't that great a technical singer, but she put her heart and soul and guts on the stage. I mean, she just put it all out there, and that's why people love her. But technically, especially in her later years, she wasn't that great a singer technically. I remember I, I, remember I was watching the Judy movie, mm-hmm. and one of the things I said to someone was, they got Renee Zellweger to sing the part for her, to sing the part instead mm-hmm. of dubbing in Judy. Mm-hmm. But I was a little disappointed by the fact that like she tried singing Judy in a way that's very like perfect mm-hmm. versus how she actually was towards the end of her life, which yeah. was her voice was scratchier, her a little vo- wobbly, yeah, little wobbly, mm-hmm. and she had. Not to say she broke down a lot, but she clearly was not there. Yeah, yeah, and so. I was surprised by the fact that like that's how the that's what they did in the movie, mm-hmm. and for me like I love that Judy Garland at uh, Carnegie Hall album, mm-hmm. but I do love it for its flaws. I do mm-hmm. love the fact that she messes up and yeah. she has her flaws and yeah. all that stuff. But if anything, um, there's one artist that I'm trying to remember who I think Mario Bava or something. Not Mario Bava. Mario. Oh uh, uh, well. Uh, I'm trying to remember him. Is he an opera guy? Yeah. I um, think it's Mario Lanza. Lanza, thank you. I was going to say Lamas, but I know Lanza, yeah. Mm-hmm. I See, I love his singing, but at the same time, like, it's kind of like the op- it's kind of like the Edith Piaf. Your mm-hmm. Edith Piaf is mm-hmm. my Mario Lanza. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't connect as yeah. much as I used to. But, like, Edith Piaf to me is kind of interesting because... I think she's brilliant and I love her, but I can see why. It's the, uh, 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 like, I don't like that. Like, I, for some reason, like, I, I used to do this impression of her where I went around, like, mm-hmm. I was something yep. like that. And it's like, it's a lot of verbato. Too and much like, for me. And I can, ima- but I can see that. That's what I'm saying is that, like, I can see the Edith Piaf criticism because I feel like it's brilliant. You can sit there and say it's a good voice, but it, but it's a type of voice that I can see someone getting irritated by because of a lot of her <laughs> Hello. So I so so that's why I love the people that have both. Like Linda Addo has a gorgeous instrument, technically but but it you know, puts your guts out there. And, and same with Bernadette Peters. I mean, I think I think Linda Edder's voice technically is a little better than Bernadette Peters, but it just but she puts the emotion in it too. And I like that combination. And for me I also think that like I, I'm trying to think. Like I think there is one artist that I think is technically brilliant, but surprisingly is very emotive. Julie Andrews. Yeah, she can't sing anymore though. No, but that's sadly, true. But no, absolutely. Yeah, and she had she had just she was born with a gift. I mean, she just had that voice. She just it doesn't come along that often. But yes, yeah, she put emotion into it too. Absolutely. Betty Buckley. Mm-hmm. Betty Buckley and all that. The the w- weird thing is that like I was watching the original Tony's, one of the original Tony performances of Cats mm-hmm. with Betty Buckley, and she just blows it out yeah. of the water. Yeah, and she shows that you can be technically brilliant, but also really know how to show emotion. Mm-hmm. Because with Cats, 
that song memory is one of those songs where i've only seen a few good versions of it which is elaine mm-hmm. page betty buckley and nicole i forgot her last name but i've seen some people perform memory where they're crying their eyes mm. out yeah. and I'm not saying that they're not allowed to cry. I'm just yeah. saying that they should not cry so loud that the voice is hurt by it. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen that where somebody cries during yeah. a performance and their singing just gets worse. And it's like, okay, please do not sn- yeah. do not make snivel and snort <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. Snow- you got to control it a little bit. I mean, it's great to have the performer be so connected to the song and the material that they're moved emotionally too. But if you're performing you got to control it enough to still give a good performance yeah you know who i would have loved to have seen live carol channing oh yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. carol channing and but honestly i was gonna say like mary martin but no but she i I was born 94 yeah yeah, mary martin and and you know and of course she was she was a great actress and and fun i mean wasn't a fabulous voice i mean she you know had had a good enough broadway voice to i think she's definitely the other example which is not technically brilliant voice but the emotion sells it, like and, that Peter Pan voice. And, and, that, and being a good actress, you have to you know, be a good actress as well. All right, now that we've discussed, we've <laughs> sliced and diced singers. All right, we'll be back with more, some more entertainment news and some great guests a little bit later on The Desert Scene. Desert Scene on Radio 111. Cultural events and the people who make it happen in the desert cities with Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza. This might be one of those two segment uh, news stories, but Astroworld. So sad. So Astroworld, what happened was that Astroworld is this big concert like Coachella, but in Texas. And what it is, is that Travis Scott, this rapper, basically put on a show for the Saturday, last Saturday's Astroworld. Mm-hmm. So, wow, okay. So it is kind of one of those stories where a lot of stuff happens. And so we're, I'm just going to say this. So my best understanding is that the crowd got really rowdy. And out of every, control. Out of control. And there was no precautions, no security, very little security, mm-hmm. abysmal way of like help. Of yeah. segregating the audience a little bit, so the audience kind of crushed, and that's what it is. Rushed the stage. Rushed and did the he, stage. Didn't he encourage them though? And he's done that before. Yes, I understand. We'll get in. I'll yeah. definitely get yeah. into that. But like, for the moment, for the moment, nine people died, and a couple people, and way more were injured as more people were crowding the stage, rushing towards it, causing people to fall, get, get trampled, cr- trampled, crushed, killed. People were dying, and it was described as hell on earth. And what had happened was, one of the more controversial elements of this is that as people were dying, Travis Scott continued to play. And, you know, they say the show must go on, but it doesn't literally mean that. No, No, we don't mean that. Not in that situation. (laughs) Definitely not. And what happened was that 
the show eventually went to its natural end. Mm-hmm. But from my understanding, there are YouTube videos of people screaming, stop the show. Yeah. And a teenager running up to the cameraman and telling him, please stop the show because there's somebody dying. Yeah. And a body being dragged out as the show plays on. And Astro and Travis Scott apologized on Instagram the next day, but it was not sufficient mm-hmm. as as people felt it was it looked bad. It looks really bad when you apologize after you play music during a concert. Yeah, when people are dying. When and, people are dying. And and again, he. Uh, I understand that he's done this before, and there have been injuries at other of his events. Yes. Um. And uh. And yeah, where was the security? Why was the security locks? And from my understanding, is that the tr- past events was that Travis Scott actually went to jail for igni- inciting a riot within his audience. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was that, like, he's had incidents where he would encourage audience members to get crazy and rowdy yeah. and just have a quote unquote good time. And it was, and it's one of those things where, like, Travis Scott just. I think he confuses having a good time with hurting people, mm-hmm. or at least like he thinks that oh nobody's really gonna get hurt, you know, and so it's one of those things too where he, us it's it's one of those things where he encouraged a man. There was one time where a man took his shoe mm-hmm. during, and he was crowd surfing right, and this man was crowd so I think Travis Scott was crowd surfing and someone. And someone took his shoe off Mm -hmm. of his foot, which, Mm -hmm. you know, not the best conduct, but, you know, you can just tell that fan, hey, give it back. And what happened? So what happened was that he told the crowd, F him up. And so the crowd beat up the guy. And so there was another situation where, like, somebody might have done something to Travis Scott, which wasn't a big deal because, you know... I'm sure if you were at a performance and someone took your shoe, you wouldn't tell them to beat them up. You'd be yeah. like, hey, can you give it back? No, my you know? shoe, yeah. And also you're rich, so you can afford more it, shoes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's one of those things where he's done this so often that he also told them in 2015, he also told his fans, ignore, the, uh, ignore security and rush up to the stage. Mm. So Travis Scott is not exactly someone that I believe, quite frankly, can control the crowd. And Apparently not. No, and he is getting sued. Good. Hundreds of people are suing Good. him. Lawyers are coming up. He, families, people. It's one of those things where it's just horrible. But I was going to ask you, what was your initial reaction when you first heard of this? Well, uh, like I mentioned before, first of all, my f- initial reaction is, why in the heck would anybody ever want to go to something like that? Because I'm claustrophobic, and being in the middle of a big crowd of thousands of people m- makes me panic. So I wouldn't be there, number one. Um, but I think that especially hearing what you just said that he told the crowd it's time and we'll leave the political stuff out of it but anyone who deliberately riles up a crowd an already energized perhaps agitated large crowd of people to uh commit violence whether you're kidding or not should be held accountable especially if someone is hurt or dies as a result of it absolutely should be sued and one of the things was that at one of his other events like a long time ago he actually it was so bad that like one of his fans got paralyzed did they sue i hope they got some money no they they tried to sue too yeah they said that basically the he's that travis scott is basically one of those people that he wants the audience to have this energy but i don't think he understands the like 
an exciting an excited audience does not mean you have to beat people up no, or, or like rush the stage rush or trample stage, people trample. yeah and i feel like this is just one of those things where i don't oh this this was a disaster it didn't need to happen in Absolutely. my opinion it did not and i heard that there's a rumor that he's going to be canceled from coachella which i hope they do i didn't hear anything about it but I sure hope they don't have him at Coachella. No, because at Coachella, like I don't want to hear about it happening here, no. and I don't want to hear about it again. I because think it should be boycotted, frankly, no. for live performances. And there are some people that are really considering the boycott, but yep. we'll talk about this yep. a little bit later on. All right, more on the desert scene in just a bit. Brian continue with the desert scene on Radio 111. Here they are. And we're back on the desert scene and so excited to be joined now by our first guest today, Jeffrey Scott Adair, uh, singer, dancer, uh, amazing resume we've got here. And he's involved with a big event, uh, Youth Theater Players, a big global event. It was actually last night, today, tonight and tomorrow. Hi, Jeffrey. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. So, um, first of all, let's let talk. About, I want to talk a little bit about your background, and then we'll get into this event. So, you are um, you're now based in Rancho Mirage, but uh, started in LA and the Vegas as as far as performing. Um, I actually grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area um, and started doing theater up there, and then um, went to Vegas after that. And uh, so, did you always know as a kid? Was this, you always knew that this that performing was your future? I didn't actually. I was really pretty shy in high school and kind of fell into it by accident. Um, I, somebody dropped out of the high school musical, The Music Man, and they said, you want to give it a try? And I did. And from then I was hooked. Wait, were you the lead? Were you Harold Hill? No, no, no. I was just in the chorus. Okay. I had one line, okay. you know, and danced with the kids. But, you know, it was... Uh, the, the thrill of being on stage, you know, got me. So it was that was it for me. Now, did you have was your family supportive of this as a choice, a career choice for you? They were, although they thought I was sort of like you know an alien or something because <laughs> nobody in my no one in yeah. my family performed um, ever, and so they were like, "Where did this come from?" But um, yeah, they always you know came and saw everything I did and supported me and um, yeah all through my life and so tell me you did you've done some stuff in Vegas tell me tell me about your Vegas experience so my first um, Vegas show was at the old MGM Grand um, in a show called Hallelujah Hollywood okay. um, and I was 20 years old and started there and then I went to the Lido de Paris at the Stardust Hotel mm -hmm. and then left for a couple of years. I actually lived in Europe for a couple of years and then um, went back to Vegas um, with a show called Beach Blanket Babylon, which was the longest running cabaret show in, in the world wow. um, based in San Francisco. Uh -huh. And they, um, they had an iteration of it at the Sands Hotel in the old Copa Room where the Rat Pack used to play. Oh, how fun. Yeah. Yeah. And Very exciting to be on the stage where, you know, 
Tammy and, and Dean and Frank, you know, used to perform just thinking about, you know, they sit on the same boards that I did. Yeah, absolutely. What a great feeling. Uh, so would you say that your uh, singer, singer, dancer, actor, uh, or what, what comes number one in that list? Well, it used to be dancing, but mm-hmm. now it's my my advanced age. Um, it's more singing. Okay. Uh, but you know, I still once you, once you know how to do it, you never forget how to do it. So uh, uh, I guess I'm a singer that moves now. Okay. <clears throat> All right. And so what? So now you are. What made you come out here to the desert? Well, we always loved coming down here um, from Northern California. You know, on vacation, and as we decided to sort of wind down our business and, and uh, you know, kind of simplify life. It was always our dream to actually move here and sort of semi-retire. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and we did it all during COVID, which was very interesting, but um, we got it done. Yeah. And we're here. And now I'm looking at your resume, Special Skills Millinery Hat Construction. So you make hats. So how did that come about? Uh, again, sort of a little bit by accident, I was actually in uh, in Beach Bunk of Babylon, which is known for its extravagant and gigantic hat. And uh, we were opening the show in Vegas, and the deadline was coming before opening night. And Steve Silver, the producer, said, I really need help with, you know, finishing some of these hats. And they've got too many to do. Does anybody know anything, you know, about you know, crafts mm-hmm. or anything. And I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I'm artsy, mm-hmm. so I'll give it a try. And so I got taught by some of the hat makers in the show how to construct the hats. And then I eventually became the hat master um, in the show. So I was dancing in the show and making uh, making the hats and eventually got to work on the Academy Awards with Beach Blanket Babylon. And then they did the infamous Snow White and Rob Lowe uh, opening yeah. number of Academy Awards. Yes. <clears throat> How fun. Now, is that something, do you still do hats from time to time these days? I do. Yeah, I do them, you know, just kind of for fun and for friends and, and that kind of thing. Nothing, you know, nothing too big. But uh, who knows? Maybe now that theater companies know I can do it, then. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> could be the hat guy. Okay, so let's talk about um, you theater players. So how did you get involved with them and MTU to begin with? Well, I saw um, a notice that they were looking for adult singers to do a benefit. And mm-hmm. I, I knew about the um, event that MTI was, was planning. Um, you know, they were giving over the rights to 45 songs for theater companies to use as a charity. Um, and I thought, gosh, you know, this would be a nice, easy way for me to sort of, you know, sing for the first time in Coachella Valley mm-hmm. and kind of dip my foot back into the the theater scene down here. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I contacted them. I sent them a couple um, tapes of, of me singing, and they mm-hmm. said, yes, you know, we'd love to have you come and come and sing. And um, that's kind of what happened. So t- t- tell me how this is working. So other tw- over 2,500 theaters across the globe in all 50 states and over 40 countries performed this exclusive musical review free of charge. So I know it started a lot. So it was last night, today at 2.30, tonight at 7, tomorrow at 2.30 and 5.30. So how does this work uh, technically? How do they put it all together? Well, um, Music Theater International actually su- supplies the streaming music. So it's these beautiful orchestrations that they send to the theater companies in files, um, and then the uh, the music is you know played over over the sound system, um, and and you know we've we've been rehearsing for several weeks, and we got rehearsal tracks as well, and uh, and the script 
and every company is free to interpret the music how they want. So some companies are doing full out production numbers, costume, dancing, and then some companies like what we're doing is more like a cabaret style show where we're you know sitting on stools and it's mm-hmm. you know very a lot more intimate and um, you know just kind of sitting around and singing some of our favorite Broadway songs. And so is it a situation where, let's say, okay, it's your uh, theater company, it's your theater player's slot, so you guys do a whole, like, 10 or 15-minute thing and then it moves on to some other theater company, or is it or is it mix and match songs throughout the whole thing? All of the um, companies are, are performing simultaneously, so we're not connected to each other, okay. but we're all doing it at the same time. Okay, so and so how would somebody who wants to watch this, how would they access it? Well, if they go to the um, Children's Playtime Productions or Youth Theater Players um, website, actually it's uh, youththeaterplayers.com, mm-hmm. um, they can get tickets or they can just walk in. Um, and the theater is actually in the uh, Westfield Palm Desert Mall um, inside near uh, J.C. Penney's in a store space, but they've created this little small um, kind of black box theater in there, and mm-hmm. um, it's really great. It's very unexpected. Yeah, that's that's fine. Now, when did that? Uh, when did that start? When did they first create that space at the mall? Do you know? Well, they they moved there like literally. I think like the week before the COVID lockdown happened. Okay. Um, they had they had been in downtown Palm Springs in a the theater there. Um, and made the move not expecting that any of that was going to happen. So, unfortunately, you know, they moved in and then had to close down. Uh, But over the course of that, you know, close down, they were able to, you know, sort of renovate and remodel and set up the stage and get it all ready again for when they started doing classes with the kids and, Mm -hmm. um, and performances. So now they're kind of back up and all running again. That's great. Now, is that have you? Is that something you've done or have thought about doing? Is taking your skills and teaching some of the younger folks singing, dancing as part of this, uh, the youth theaters, the youth theater? Um, I've never been asked actually to do it for theater and dance, but um, I also used to um, produce um, uh, like benefit shows for schools, and I, mm-hmm. I worked with a private school in Northern California for twenty five years producing a show for them um, every spring mm-hmm. with like about 120 kids and yeah. 20 adults, uh, parents and teachers and so that kind of thing. So yeah, I, it's definitely in my wheelhouse, but um, uh, I've never been asked to actually teach a, a singing or dancing class, but certainly would love to do that. Uh, yeah, it sounds like absolutely you'd be fabulous. Okay, so again, so if people want to uh, take uh, view this, today at 2.30, also at 7 o'clock tonight, then tomorrow 2.30 and tomorrow 5.30. So you can either go to uh, youththeaterplayers.com or childrensplaytimeproductions.com, either one? Yeah, Okay. And then, or just walk, walk in and uh, buy a ticket at the door. Yeah, absolutely. So what I always like to ask the performers uh, like you, Jeffrey, is uh, do you have a go-to song? Let's say if you were going to see somebody's cabaret show or in a lo- small club or as a jam or something, and they said, Jeffrey, come up and sing a song. Do you have a couple of go-to songs that you would um, pick out in that situation? Well, I'm actually singing one of them in the show, just coincidentally. It's a, uh, a song that I've always loved. And it's, um it's called the cafe song or empty chairs and empty tables from Les Mis. Oh yes. Uh, what a great, and it's, you know, it's, yeah, it sits really nicely in, in my voice and uh, I love the, the message and mm-hmm. it's especially poignant in the context of, you know, we're 
thinking it, about uh, people that we've COVID, you know, lost yes. uh, over the last year. And oh my gosh, um, so it, it, I get a little choked up after I finish singing it uh, every I, night in this show. I can imagine. What about a, a, a upbeat fun tune? If you had to do an upbeat fun tune, what would be your go-to song? Oh boy, that's a really good question. I. I, I, I can't think of one right off the top of my head, to be honest with you. Okay, and I'm looking at your roles. You did Will Parker in Oklahoma, Freddie Ironsford Hill in My did. Fair Lady, uh, let's see, Lewis and Pippin. What, what, do you have a favorite role of those that you've done in musical theater? Um, boy, Lewis was really fun because he's just such a silly character uh, in Pippin mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and very outrageous. So that was, uh, that was pretty fun to do. But really, honestly, my favorite experiences in theater have been dancing in the big ensemble shows. I did Crazy yeah. for You. I did Seven Bites for Seven Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, I did Me and My Girl. And those big, wonderful dance numbers where you're dancing nonstop for, you know, minutes on end. And yeah. you're, you're puffing and puffing at the end. <laughs> that. That's the most fulfilling for me. They, yeah, you know, that that kind of performing. What in, in time we have left? What advice would you give to a young a young performer? Somebody, you know, maybe the kids that you're working with. You know, somebody they're you know ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, and they really want to be a professional performer. What advice would you give somebody like that? Um, don't give up. You know, like it can be very scary, and it can you can feel vulnerable and. You know, maybe a little exposed when you're putting yourself out there in front of people to perform. But, you know, push through it and um, use the the love and the energy that people are giving back to you to mm-hmm. kind of fuel you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, just don't give up because uh, it can be such a great career if you if you. Go for it. One real quick, one last question. Uh, would you? There's a lot of little clubs in this in the Palm Springs area where people do one man, one woman cabaret shows. Is that something that you think is in your future? I'm actually working on something right now. Yay! Um, doing uh, doing a show with another singer. His name's Brad Peeple. Okay. And um, the two of us are cooking something up. So, Excellent. Uh, stay tuned. Excellent. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. Jeffrey Scott Adair, he's part of this wonderful uh, thing uh, all together now, Musical Theater International. Again, today, 2.30 and 7. Tomorrow, 2.30, Youthplayers.com or childrensplaytimeproductions.com or check out their space at the Westfield Mall. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a great day. You too. All right. Jeffrey Scott Adair will be back with more on the desert scene. From musical theater to literature and all the other stuff we enjoy in between, making desert life so vibrant. You're listening to Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza and the Desert Scene on Radio 111. Here's Bonnie and Brian. So the Travis Scott situation, the Astroworld disaster tragedy, that really is one that it really it is. That's the best way to put it. It is a tragedy, absolute, a absolute tragedy. But I wanted to. Talk about the sort of the other po- side, other side of it, where there is a 
real a real position where we can finally we can look back at some of the ways infamously rough acts mm -hmm. and i say quotes like that we're able to actually stop crowds from hurting each other because i feel like there's been this case where like a lot of people have this misconception about metal so metal music when it comes to like metal just in general has metal, that reputation yes yeah. metal music just has this reputation a of all violent, violence violence yeah. moshing and yeah. all that stuff and you know what there is actual moshing etiquette i don't know if you know this bonnie but I, there I is i did not so one of the things is that this might be a little outdated but they don't encourage a lot of times like smaller women to when, when they're putting in in the mosh they kind of encourage you to not punch or hurt or like or punch anybody or kick anybody but like just do gentle pushing you know like almost like pushing so they people. have to say that they have to put that in the etiquette please don't punch or kick anybody yeah it's almost like oh gosh. so one of the things they also tell people is like if there is a very i think they mean this for guys too but like for example if you see a short girl in the crowd do not pick on her do not go out of your way to pick on the short girl but they usually mean like short person and like in the mosh it's supposed to be pushing and sort mm -hmm. of like roughing each other up a little bit but it's not meant to be anything like you're not supposed to come out of it with injuries if anything mm -hmm. you're supposed to be like okay that was fun let's yeah. go do something else yeah but they ask you not to like go out of your way to pick on somebody like they literally say if you see someone shorter than you and you feel like that person is an easy target don't do it because no that don't do it have fun try to do it with everybody mm -hmm. because like they'll be because they don't want to exclude people from entering the mosh but they also mm -hmm. don't want somebody who may have accidentally been put in there mm -hmm. to be targeted targeted they're smaller. yeah and another thing is respect it you know they say d respect each other's space and like you know don't try to cause actual permanent damage like if you accidentally hurt somebody permanently you know go out of your way to apologize and stop the incident i mean you know? I i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to be flip here but does it seem bizarre to you that those things have to be said yeah. as etiquette yeah like that it is <laughs> i get i get what you're saying because I'm like sorry because a lot of metal shows a lot of times they have to go out of their way to be like have this etiquette because you can't hurt people like, like that like i mean if you rough someone up if you're at a concert having fun because it's metal music it's it's not you're not the idea is that hey maybe you'll feel like a little tiny bruise here but it's not meant to be permanent. Like, you might not even see the bruise. It's more of like, you know how when you get injected... Don't with deliberately go out of your way to trample someone who hurts someone. Tell me, talk about Kurt Cobain. I found this really very interesting. So, Kurt Cobain in 1993 actually prevented a woman from being sexually assaulted at his concert. So, he noticed that there was a woman being sexually harassed and all mm -hmm. that. So, he actually went out of his way to stop his concert, concert and said, Hey, security, take this person yeah. out because this person's obviously yeah. causing distress. And yeah. he told the, f the woman, you know, hey, you know you're in a safe space don't worry we're gonna kick him out and he basically said this is wrong yep. do not do this in my concerts because my music doesn't encourage this good for him and iron maiden's bruce dickinson also did this a little a few years later where he basically saw this guy pushing people and to get to this one girl and try to harass her and he said stop it don't do that mm -hmm. and he told security to, to come out uh, to basically stop Take that, it but yeah yeah and another thing was that event sevenfold another metal band m shadows he actually stopped the song 
because mm-hmm. he saw that a fan was passed out mm-hmm. and got the doctor's uh, medical the med- attention, yeah, medical attention and all that. Cor- uh, Corey Taylor has, you know, Corey Taylor, you know, people make fun of his singing voice, but you know what? No one can make fun of his like good guyness because he actually told he stopped an entire show t- because he saw that there was a fan that was having a seizure mm-hmm. and he told them, you know, we gotta get them some help. Get yeah. Get them some help. And Corey Taylor actually said during a show, no one's ever going to die on my right. watch. Because, Good for him. Because he said that there was also another incident where there, the music got so crazy that more people were having seizures at another event. There was a group of mm-hmm. people that were having seizures and he said, no one's going to get, is going to die or get hurt. Get the medical attention. We got to mm-hmm. stop this. I don't care what I look like. Cause yeah, complain all you want yeah and so another thing was that disturbed another band david drayman you know this guy has sung music about beating up his mom and all that but it, it's exaggerated i okay. i assume but he went out of his way to make sure sh- he saw that there was a girl in the mosh pit and that she was getting picked on and pushed out yeah. and he actually stopped the show and said take her out yeah. don't pick on her she she's clearly she's clearly being hurt and, Good for them. And I'm also, so glad to hear all that. And the final thing is that uh, Bruce Dickinson also went out of his way to call out a security guard one time for harassing a fan and beating them up. So it shows that there are ways to handle this, handle this. where people don't get hurt. Hello, Travis Scott. Want to take a lesson here? And also for anyone, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, you can't see everything on stage. If these people can see... But if you do see something, how could he have not seen something was going on? Yes, and especially considering that metal music is way loud, Mm -hmm. far louder than rap Mm -hmm. music. I don't think it's impossible to deduct that something is wrong when you hear your fans screaming. Screaming and asking people to come up and saying, please stop the show or whatever. So, yeah. Well, good kudos to those guys. And, yeah, Travis Scott, I think there should be a boycott, my personal opinion. Uh, All right. We'll be back with more on the desert scene in just a moment. From architecture to painting and sculpture, literature to live music and theater, Radio 111 presents Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza with The Desert Scene, your connection to culture and entertainment in the desert cities. Here's Bonnie and Brian. And we're back on the desert scene, and now we're joined by a really great guy that I've just gotten to know in the last year or so, Jim Bentley, uh, who's married to a good friend of mine, Jeannie. They got had kind of a whirlwind romance, and uh, he is a wonderful singer, right. uh, lo- lots of experience, and magician. I have not yet seen any, any of his magic, but hopefully too soon. Hi, Jim. How are you? Good, Bonnie. How are you? Yeah, good. Well, I want to. We'll get into your show. I know you got a big show coming up at Palm Valley yeah, Country yeah. Club. But before that, I want to talk a little bit about your your background. Where are you from originally, and how did you get started as a performer? Believe it or not, I am a native Angelino. Okay. Born in downtown Los Angeles, and grew up in the entertainment industry. My everybody was behind the scenes. I was named after Jimmy Sarno, uh, who was a publicist and. My grandfather was uh, an accountant at MGM, which mm-hmm. I was very lucky to go and see the lot back in the heyday in the 60s mm-hmm. uh, when they were doing shows like Man From U.N.C.L.E. and oh, um, yeah. all a great show. It was fun. And my grandmother was a, a seamstress. She she worked with uh, on Gene Harlow's uh, evening gown. She would do all the beating. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And then I had an uncle that was a uh, grip, another w- uncle that was an editor. 
and one wrote for the Academy Awards when Bob Hope was doing it. So, so you were you had you had you basically you were destined to be in the business. Oh yeah, and all of them said, "Don't go in, don't go in." Don't, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Because you, you know you know how that goes. They say, "Oh, what are you crazy?" Yeah, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get your you know yeah. your ego crushed, crushed, blah blah. Right. Yeah. Well, and Jeannie's discovering that you know because I I do a lot of these nowadays. We we call self tapes mm-hmm. from home for auditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Since the COVID, which is is it's been a benefit to somebody like me that lives in Palm Desert. Uh, to be able to, you know, basically almost phone it in mm-hmm. uh, and have all these auditions going. So, and she she goes, I can't believe that you haven't booked. And I went, oh, I will. I said, yeah. it takes a, you, you, it's a numbers game. You uh, gotta, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. It's, it's it's fifty auditions for one. Ex- you know? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so tell me how um, how did you start singing? Did you did you study as a kid? How did you, how did you get into the singing end of it? I uh, I was listening to Frank Sinatra at the age of six mm-hmm. and had my uh, record player right next to my bed mm-hmm. so I could go to sleep by by Frank. And uh, then, then when I did junior high and high school, I did musicals. And, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to get some, you know, like the lead in Guys and Dolls and... Uh, uh, I, I played riff in West Side Story, mm-hmm. and so I, I had to get my chops up because yeah. that was the only way I was going to get those parts. Mm-hmm. And in the interim, I started doing magic. Uh, you know, I had an agent at the time. Uh, it's a great story. Uh, Debbie Reynolds uh, got me my first agent. Mm-hmm. She was at, at we met at uh, MGM Studios when they were having the auction. Oh and yeah, yeah. The big, it was the big auction, '71, and I and high and then uh, LA School District was on strike, and so I was displaying the costumes mm-hmm. and bring them out on hangers. And then finally, I got so bored with that, I started wearing the costumes out and started getting <laughs> getting last. A Marie Antoinette dress, you know, is, <laughs> looks great on me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But Debbie says, you know, you, you need to be an actor and I'll help you if you help me. And I said, mm-hmm. okay, what do you need? And she goes, I want you to come to the house. And I went to her house on Bowling Green uh-huh. and went to her private screening of Marie Antoinette, uh, John Shear Kraut, and Norma Shear. And she goes, I want you to look for those costumes. And, and I did. I found several, not all, you know, uh, because they were pretty beaten up, you know, 1930s, mm-hmm. uh, you know, MGM musicals. Uh, so anyway, we became friends, and um, she always, you know, coached me into saying, you know, do you do other things? And I said, yeah, I love doing magic. She goes, well, you should then do some magic, learn how mm-hmm. to, you know, really. I said, okay, and then I started doing uh, working Vegas at uh, sixteen on uh, summer breaks at Circus Circus Las Vegas, hanging upside down, uh, sixty feet on a on the monorail, um, getting out of a straitjacket. Wow. Wow! Yeah, so good for yeah, you. So, and so I, I've I've dabbled into a lot of different things, mm-hmm. and also a Vietnam veteran, and uh, spent two years in the military. Thank you for that. your service. My pleasure. Yes, it was a, it was a great uh, parade in Palm Springs. By mm-hmm. the way, I don't yeah. know if you saw it, but it was fabulous. I did not see the parade, but I know. Yeah, Palm Springs always always does it upright. So tell me how uh, what what brought you out here to the desert. 
uh, I've been coming out here since the '60s. My grandparents um, had a place on in El Dorado mm-hmm. Country Club, and their next door neighbor was a guy named Eisenhower. Yeah, and yeah. and so I, I met him and saluted him, and so we would come out and, and you know do weekends, and um, uh, and I loved it. And then I just I ended up buy, uh, buying a home. Uh, using my VA loan to get a place mm-hmm. down here because mm-hmm. I kind of I just wanted to you know retire down here. I love yeah. the weather. I, yeah, I'd rather be I'd rather be hot than cold. Oh, me too. I hear you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about this big show coming up. Palm Valley Country Club starts off the season with all that jazz. Sunday, November twenty first, featuring yourself and Carol Hampton, who I love, a good, another good friend. Uh, dinner, magic, and music. Bring your dancing shoes, and of course the Dave Ring Trio, and they're fabulous. So tell us about how this came together. Uh, well, I, I'm a member. I, I, uh, Jeannie and I both live, we live together, obviously. Mm-hmm. We're married mm-hmm. in, in Palm Valley Country Club. And so I've been pitching ideas to do, do certain things because I, you know, I feel like maybe there's, there's not enough live music mm-hmm. right there where we live. Mm-hmm. And so they, I pitched it to the f- food and beverage, Debbie, and she loved the idea. And then I said, yeah, well, you know, I'm going to do some comedy, do some magic, do some singing. Uh, got a great trio um, that you know will do more dance music as well. And Carol Hampton, who I've known over forty years, mm-hmm. um, in fact, she is the godmother to my oldest daughter. Oh, that's great! Wow. Okay. Yeah. So we know we, we, we have history, mm-hmm. and we and we've done we've done so many shows together. We we mm-hmm. always have fun and laughs, and uh, you know she, she always comes up with a zinger. Yes, you know, which which I like. Yeah, she's a she's a witty witty gal. That's for sure. So oh. so so tell me about how how did you pick the songs that you're going to be doing? How did you choose the material? Well, as I said, I'm a Frank fan, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I resemble them. I'm not trying to do, emulate them. I'm not trying to do an impression of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I do do impressions, but not of him. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I I just. I, I like the way those uh, the Great American Songbook, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Fly Me to the Moon, uh, uh, Shadow of Your Smile, which is another great classic. Tony Bennett, and great Frank, tunes, obviously, great tune. Yeah, I mean, I look, for, I just look for really heartfelt tunes. Uh, you know, one for my baby. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, I I, I like to call myself a saloon singer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it, it's fun to do the songs. And they got such wonderful lyrics, and I love Sammy Kahn, who I I actually got to sing with Sammy Kahn in Beverly Hills. Wow, good for you! Yeah, it was really cool. We we did Love and Marriage, and uh, so I just you know I grew up with that music, and mm-hmm. it's just it stuck with me. And you know it's it's music that'll last forever. Yeah. Um, Have you ever thought ahead. about about writing a book, Jim, about all your experiences and performing in Hollywood? Because I bet you you got a lot of stories. Oh, a boatload. I mean, I, I did the warm up on friends for nine years. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was a very interesting, uh, show to do. Cause they would go sometimes six, seven hours, uh, uh because of rewriting. Wow. And it was a great, but the audience hung in there and they had a yeah. great time and yeah. we did a show within a show. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I thought about writing. I need to write the book. I, 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 I really think it would do. be a, a heck of a book. So tell me about the music. So now, so is there a, 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 a section where it's all music and you singing, Carol singing, and then a separate magic section, or do you kind of mix it up? Yes. Uh, I've, 
that's an interesting question because uh, I'm not sure of the numbers of how many people are going to be there. Mm-hmm. I'll probably want to do, uh, I'll probably do like five, five songs up front mm-hmm. to get them war- war- yeah. basically doing my, my own warm up. Yeah. And then, and then break the band and, and do the magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, uh, you know, I don't need the band sitting there. Right. You know, with, yeah. I mean, it's nice because I can get rim shots and things like that, but <laughs> uh, give uh, them a break. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I give them a break. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they'll love me for that. Yeah. Uh, and then they'll, they'll come back up and we'll, and Carol and I are going to, uh, do a song together. Uh, you make me feel so young. Oh, great tune. Yeah. Uh, uh, great tune. It's good, good for the, the two of us to do. Cause I, I know she will not do it straight. She will make, she'll make some, Weird mm-hmm. remark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which always makes it interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to keep up with her. <laughs> so we have fun. The bottom line is the folks that come out have fun. Yes, it, it's we moved. To, it's five to eight. Mm-hmm. There is food. You can get drinks. The, the there's booze. There's all the stuff that that you want or adult cocktails. I guess is the uh, correct way mm-hmm. of saying mm-hmm. it. Uh, and, and there's no cover charge. There's, you know, there's no no two drink minimum or anything like what, that. I mean, what a great evening! Actually, Eric and I will be there. What a great evening! Palm Valley Country Club, all that jazz. Sunday, November twenty first, featuring Jim Bentley with Carol Hampton. Dinner, magic, and music. Dave Ring Trio, five to eight. Palm Valley Country Club. Um, you need to RSVP seven six zero. Three four five two seven three seven seven six zero three four five two seven three seven. So I like to I always like to ask singers, Jim. So obviously Frank Sinatra is your, uh, you know, your kind of top up uh, top artist that uh, songs you like to do. If if you go to a say, there's a lot of jam sessions, open mics, that kind of thing in town. What's your go to song if you get up and they say, Jim, come do a number? What's your kind of go to one or two songs? Um. I mean, uh, "Fly Me to the Moon." Would you say is that one of the tops that yeah, you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fly me, and then um, uh, I, you know, I, because I, I did show, show, I did musicals for mm-hmm. so many years. Mm-hmm. I love the song, uh, especially to my new genie in my life. Uh, is I've grown accustomed to her face. Oh yeah, that's a great song. Yes, it's a, just a wonderful song. I mean, I, I, it's so funny because I, I have a tendency to lean towards the ballads. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't really mean to, uh, but you know, uh, you make me feel so young is another one that I love doing. Uh, ladies, a tramp. I mean, that's, that's a classic, great mm-hmm. song. Sure. Uh, um, you know, to, to stay on the upbeat. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't have my list in front of no, me. No, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, real quick before, <laughs> before we go, Jim, what do you, when you go to yeah. hear, when you go to hear somebody else, when you go to hear another singer, what do you, what are you hoping to see and hear from someone else when you go see another performance? Uh, I want to be entertained. Okay. And, and, you know, I just, you know, I want them, I, I want to see that they're having a good time up there. And then and, you'll have a good time. Yeah. And then I'll have a good time. Yeah. I, I think that's really so important. Absolutely. A lot, of, a lot of people are too stiff when they're, when yeah. they're up there. Yeah. And they get, have great pipes, but you right. get a little bored. Got to sell. All right, Jim Bentley, so glad to have you with us. I uh, can't wait till uh, next Sunday. We're coming out to see the show again next Sunday, September 21st, November 21st, Palm Valley, RSVP 760-345-2737. Thank you so much, Jim. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Bonnie. All right. I'm get you up to sing. Uh, okay, maybe. All right. Have a great right. afternoon. Okay. We'll be you back too. with more on the Desert Scene.
likes to read. She likes to sing and act. They both love the Coachella Valley. And they love talking about the desert scene with you on Radio 111. Here's Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza. So Britney Spears. Free! She's finally free Free at last. Good for her. So So I think it was yesterday, Britney Spears finally has been ruled as... Emancipated or whatever. Emancipated, finally. Yeah. Los Angeles County Superior Court Judge Brenda Penny finally terminated the singer's conservatorship. Good. And now she is free to to spend the money that she wants. Do her own thing, yeah. Do her own thing. Be an adult, for God's sake. Be an adult and all that. And I think... And they had a huge crowd outside celebrating and all that. And Britney's lawyer said that basically... Uh, basically said the time has come for after more than a decade for the conservatorship to be terminated to it's uh, terminated entirely that it was a demoralizing and unfit mm-hmm. situation how, do you know how many years it was that 13 w- years <gasps> gosh that's just yeah. crazy and I think one of the things is that Britney Sp- there's been a lot of things that we didn't mention on the show but Britney Spears is also sort of you know how her mother has not been mentioned. Mm-hmm. There was discussion about the fact that she, Britney said that her mother seemed to be the mastermind of the whole thing. Really? That uh, apparently, like the fa- even though the father was the one that controlled the conservatorship, that the real person who brought it up was the quietly mother. in the background. Yeah, the mother and yeah. all that. And she also said that she just wants her life back, according to this, t- to her virtual like appearance in court. And she did say. 13 years is enough, you know. <laughs> More than enough, yeah. And she posted on Instagram, she posted a picture of herself in a yellow dress saying, I can't freaking believe it. Again, best day ever. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how she was cry- how she was crying tears of joy. That, mm-hmm. And she even wore a shirt that said, Free Britney. Yeah. So there has been, I got to say that it is really nice to see people succeed like that because I think people forget that it isn't just Britney Spears. It's about, you know, the conservatorship and how in general and 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 I think particularly famous, well-known entertainers who have people around them who seek to control them and siphon their money away. Oh, yeah. And I think that this leaves this conversation with her succeeding. I'm hoping that people out there who are starting to sort of see their conservatorship differently now like hey i feel like this is a little too similar to that situation Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. can sort of feel more hopeful to get out of theirs because yes absolutely i I have a friend who's in a conservatorship and she said that it's rough Mm -hmm. that it's really rough because she feels very restrained and doesn't feel like she has enough is this a young person or an older person older person okay like 60. Okay. And do you know, I mean, not to get in this person's business, but do you know what the basis of the conservatorship was to begin with? Uh, I think it was more or less like disability based. Like maybe she doesn't have the, uh, she didn't really say so. Like it's one of those things where it's like a lot of conservatorship is based around the idea that the person can't comprehend what money is or it's all that. And it's usually not the case. I was just going to say, I, I have not done a scientific study of it, but based on what the little I've read in the news, that I think there's an awful lot of abuse of that whole concept. Yes. You know. And I think for me, one of the things is that the Britney Spears situation showed that like somebody had a bad time during a specific era of their life. That and doesn't that, mean that the rest of the life you should have somebody pulling the strings. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that that's 
really the and it's also the case of like it's nice to see a bunch of people in our in the community in the entertainment community rooting for someone for once instead mm-hmm. of it being very divisive so yeah i'm not again not to take away from britney's victory but it's great to see like the public and celebrities and just a bunch of like politicians republicans all kind of agree on this agree yeah. on this because it's not just about britney spears it's about like helping people get out of abusive situations and mm-hmm. and i think for me Britney Spears gave a voice to those people. So I'm yeah. hoping in a couple years that she isn't just remembered for being a singer or a dancer that she's remembered. But of making a difference in this whole legal concept. And yes. Do mm-hmm. you, I was going to say, do you think it's going to make a difference? Like, in your opinion? Um, I, think, I think maybe a little bit. Yeah. I, think, I so. think people might stop and think, because this has been so public, that people might stop and think about a conservatorship. Hmm does this person really need a conservatorship? And what is the motivation behind the person that and getting, is running it? You and know? getting the system fixed because yeah. I think that there are valid ways for somebody to say, hey, you know, I'm really bad with money. I do need someone to help me budget yeah. and all that and do that. I think that there are ways that a conservatorship could work. And I know that maybe just, so you might say, well, then just hire a budget manager. But I think a conservatorship, the idea is that someone has your money and get, and ideally speaking, you could write in a request or mm-hmm. tell them, hey, I want to buy this, and they'll give you the money. And it's very rare that they won't. And it could only be for something like, hey, don't don't buy a mansion. Mm, yeah. Don't. I, I just think it sounds like the requirements, uh, the burden of proof on the person that wants to be in charge of conservatorship, that this other person cannot function or cannot handle their affairs i think the burden of proof needs to be much higher oh yeah and it certainly should be a case where like somebody even if you don't think they quote-unquote function that person still has their is still entitled to their money and the fact is that they should come ultimately to their own agreement of when and how when, long this how should long, last how right. long when and all that mm-hmm. and i don't think they should last forever i no. think it should be a thing of like every year or every check two it out years. it's just like a prison going up to the parole board hey let's check what's the situation now it might be different than it was a year ago or two years yeah. ago and i think yeah. that the britney case will certainly open yeah open I, I think so i hope things so. up and i'm yeah. hoping but yeah. i'm glad that she's free because that Go means britney. there's hope for the future yep we'll be back with more on the desert scene And Brian continue with the desert scene on Radio 111. Here they are. And we're back on the desert scene, and we're really happy right now to be joined by another buddy of mine, Susan Stein, who is the fa- desert fashionista. I like to think of her as the number one fashionista behind Fashion Week, uh, Palm Springs Life, all kinds of great stuff. Hi, Susan, how are you? I'm great, Bonnie. How are you? Good. And so, in addition to all of your fashion work, you have an art show coming up on November 18th at Saks Fifth Avenue. I did not know you were an artist, so tell us about that. I didn't know I was an artist either, actually. I still don't think of myself that way. I think of myself as someone who started painting about almost two years ago, right before COVID, and uh wasn't sure, you know, what it was going to lead to, and I fell in love immediately. And then I started sort of posting things on Facebook, 
and got a great response. So I said, well, I'm going to keep this up. And I, I actually love it. And Saks. I mean, whoever thought this, you know, like an art show, it's crazy. Yeah. But uh, Saks and I have a great relationship. We always have because of fashion mm-hmm. and Fashion Week. And I, I spent many years working for them in New York. So anyway, they asked me if I would like a one-woman show. And I said, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, it came to be, and we've had a great response. Excellent. Now, tell me, tell me about your your painting. What kinds of things do you and do you work in oils? Do you work in all different kinds? And do you do still life, or what's your style in general? Yeah. Well, I do acrylic. Okay. Um, I I love acrylic because I dry very quickly. I'm a bit impatient, and I'm a fast painter. Okay. So uh, oils are something I'm not quite ready to handle because I don't quite know how to do it yet. Okay. Properly, I've spoken to a lot of a lot of people. I am contemporary. When I first started, everything turned into a flower. It was just a joke. Anything <laughs> okay. I painted, I would go, "Oh, there's another flower." <laughs> okay. But, but really, I, I was like very frustrated. But then um, what happened is I decided I was going to do something more structured, and I I did something very typical Virgo. It's very geometric, Mm -hmm. um, and I love color. That's really the premise behind why I paint. Yeah. Because I love what you can do with, you know, a few colors. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I started these geometrics that wound up having... They were organic, uh, big, and they wound up having stories inside of them when I finished them. Oh, great. And I love the way things sort of grew. And there's a there's a divided, um, you know, opinion on them. Some people love the, the uh, geometrics. Some people hate them. They don't understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, some people love my flowers and um I've been told that the best part of it, and if you know me, is that there's a lot of energy in my painting. Yeah. Um, so I have this ridiculous amount of energy anyway. Uh-huh. So, you know, that's that's sort of what this is all about. Um, and that's, yeah. that's sort of what it is, but I love it. I mean, I, mean, I still love what I do, mm-hmm. you know, as a, my, my day job, as they yeah. call it, uh, year job. But, but this has been really great. Do you foresee, I just, and you, I'm, you're probably way ahead of me on this, do you foresee some play down the road some of your art being turned into clothing, like having a, a T-shirt with your art on it or something like that? Well, actually, one of my friends said, Susan, would you do a painting on a dress for me? Mm-hmm. So I am, she is wearing that to the art show. Excellent. Excellent. It's, it's really great. I took the geometrics and, and sort of made it work. So, uh, yeah, I, a lot of people have said that. I went, oh, no, you know, but it is sort of a natural progression. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, but I, but I don't particularly like what I do on clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also different painting on fabric. Yeah, so I'm yeah. getting there. You know, yeah. who knows? Who knows? I didn't know. I'd, I didn't know I'd be painting at this time. So, so are you somebody that do you um, kind? Is there a certain time of day that you kind of always go paint, or is it a spur of the moment? You wake up at two in the morning and go paint, or how does that work? Oh God, I'm up at two in the morning anyway, okay. but I don't paint. Okay. <laughs> I should maybe, but um, what what I do is I really when I get up in the morning I really do that's when I do my painting because okay. the light is just spectacular. Yeah, and lucky enough to have great light in part of my house and that's where I work. 
Um, so I get up and I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm inspired. I'm either working on a painting or I start a new one. And then sometimes at 10 o'clock at night, I'll get an idea mm-hmm. and a feel and I just do it. But I, it's a luxury for me to paint because I'm, I'm busy and yeah. for me to have that time to myself is great. Yeah. But and now, where, obviously, at your, you're having this show, 6 to 8 p.m. on November 18th, Saks Fifth Avenue. It, right. uh, are there other places, like websites, are there other places people can see your art and buy it? Yes, absolutely. Um, they can. I have a website called SusanSteinStyle.com. Okay. And um, I don't have all of my paintings up there yet because I wanted to keep some of a surprise for this show. Mm-hmm. But they will, What hopefully what's left will go up there after that. And um, it's, uh, it's called My Studio. It's that part. I talk about my fashion and what I do and then... Mm-hmm you know, all the other opportunities. And then I do have a part, uh, a segment on the menu called my studio. Yeah. And are your, are your paintings, do they vary in size? Are they mostly large, mostly small, or kind of a mix? No, they vary in size. Okay. Um, I haven't done anything really small. I've done some 10 by 10, some 12 by 18s. Yeah. And I think the biggest I have is like five by four. Okay. And um, I, I do have a five foot by five foot, uh, sitting there ready to be painted, but I that's my challenge. I, I don't want to work, have to, you know, go back to it. I want to find time where I can really just work on that and right. see what happens. All right. Let's talk, let's talk about your fashion for just a second. Tell, tell us what's coming up as far as your, your strictly your fashion career. Oh, okay. Well, the first thing is December 5th, we're producing the Animal Samaritan's Handsome Hounds show. Excellent. Uh, and and that's with handsome men from the desert and their dogs who walk the runway mm-hmm. and their sponsors. Uh, we have about 20 fabulous men this year, and we're doing it at the Air Museum. Oh, great. So they're going from runway to runway. It's very hard to say that. But, mm-hmm. um, and we're opening up the hangar, and you'll, you'll be, you know, be involved with the, with the, um, with the planes and so forth. Okay. Uh, so we generally have a lot of people for that, but that you can find at animalsamaritans.org. Okay. And tickets are available there. It's a lunches and a fashion show and a lot of other things mm-hmm. that happen. So, and then I start um, with Fashion Week, uh, which is in March, although I've been working on it all year, but the yeah. dates are March 19th through the 26th of twenty. 22. Okay. Um, well, it'll be the first one in two years, like everyone else. And yeah. I've already booked, we have nine shows in one week. Wow. So every every night, there's either one or two shows. Mm-hmm. So um, and we're, we're thinking about a 10th show, actually. So, you know, you'll, I'll need some standby resuscitation. Uh, but um, it's a it's a lot of shows. I have designers coming from Amsterdam, wow, uh, from Canada, from mm-hmm. New York, from England, and of course the local El Paseo stores. Yeah, uh, Michael Costello is coming back, who is local. He lives here again, mm-hmm. uh, but he's an LA designer, and he also does a lot of fashion for Revolve. So, um, which is a great online, you know, collection. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be fun too. And then we do another benefit for the Animal Samaritans, and that's going to feature Anika Brown. Oh yes, who is a, a local designer mm-hmm. with an African influence. So those models will be professional models, but we're using the models and their own dogs. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's great to see how they've trained them to walk the runway without a leash. Yeah. Wow. That is impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they just nip at their heels, as I say. So I, I have to ask you. I know how many. What, what's the, how many years have you been doing Fashion Week now? This will be our fifteenth year. Wow. We've been working on it for seventeen, um, but it's our fifteenth year. Yes, I know. It's incredible. How, how, when you first started, did you have any? Did you anticipate it becoming what it is now? No, um, but I knew that when I started with Palm Springs Life, and they were looking for a fashion editor, and I was doing a show, and I got to know them, and they asked me to do it. And then when I got there, they said, we want to do a fashion show for El Paseo. Mm -hmm. And I said, because I've always wanted to do the kind of show you would see in New York or Paris or London, Mm -hmm. uh, uh for real people, like you don't have yeah. to be a buyer or an editor. Right. So we created these very professional shows. The first one, we had one designer and one evening, which was sort of a question and answer. And we had about 250 people. And now mm. we're up to a, close to 1,000 people a night. Yeah. Um, we're altering that a bit because of COVID this year. Mm-hmm. So, um, and no, I never expected it. And, and I really gave myself, Bonnie, a five-year goal. Uh-huh. And, and in five years, I said, hey, I'm not stopping this. Yeah. Like my baby. So yeah. it's gone very quickly, except for the week of fashion show. The week of the shows is, you know, yeah. the week before, I think, is the most yeah. tedious one. But it's fun. I have to ask you a question. If you had to describe... Um, Two, two couple questions. If you had to describe Palm Springs style fashion wise, what, how would you describe it? Okay, I can do that easily. Okay. Um, I am I'm convinced that when I got here, I I stood, um, I, I stood around and I said. Yeah, it looks like camp for adults. You know, everybody's <laughs> yeah. wearing. Yeah, <laughs> everybody was wearing like linen shorts, and I love Tommy Bahama, the tropical shirt. Yeah, and you know, the first thing I said to my husband is, "You must get some Tommy Bahama shirts." Yeah, um, you know, and um, so that was sort of fun, and I think that I don't want to take credit for it, but I think that we've become very sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Um, We've motivated people to get dressed up yeah. um, for Fashion Week. And then I noticed that people, you know, started to what I would have called overdress previously for a lot of events. But mm-hmm. even just last night, I went to an event and there was what I love is now people are trying everything. Yeah. We're so mixed up. We have such diversity. Mm-hmm. So you'll see people in sequins and very high heels. You'll see people in jeans. And you'll see guys in shorts and yeah. shirts. And boy, what a great way to live that. You know, yeah. you can really wear whatever you feel like it. Yeah. But it's not limited to camp and linen anymore. Right. And what would you, you say know? is, uh, uh, you know, people think talk about rules, and I'm not sure about fashion rules, but particularly women, and you know, this although the demographic is spread out, there's a lot of folks over 50 in the Palm Springs area, and women still want to look great. What, what would you say from what you see in the Palm Springs area the biggest fashion mistake that most women make? Mm. There's a tricky political question. Yes, I know. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So I think the most important thing with clothes is fit. Yeah. 
okay? And that starts, that's the place that your mistakes occur. Mm-hmm. And I think that you have to look at your legs every year, and some women have just gorgeous legs forever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they shouldn't, they still, they can go shorter, but they don't have to go really, really short. Yeah, yeah. I also think some women wear long clothes, and the midi length, which is right in the middle of your, your bottom of your calf almost, yeah. it's really not the most no, flattering. Not flattering, yeah, yeah. At all. It yeah. just chops your leg right off. And if you know what, it's never been successful in retailing yeah. since I, the 80s. Su- Susan, I'm so, sorry. I, I shouldn't have asked that question because it's a long question. Thank you so much. Go see Suze, the art show, 6 to 8 p.m., November 18th, oh, Saks Fifth you. Avenue. Check out her art. And, of course, Fashion Week coming up. You are such a blessing to the desert. Thank you so much for being here. And congratulations. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay. Thank uh, you. Oh, wow. Susan, have a great day. All right. Then. Thanks. Bye. We'll be back with more on the desert scene in just a bit. The desert scene on Radio 111. Cultural events and the people who make it happen in the desert cities with Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza. So today we're going to, so I was going to say today, we are on the show today. I don't know. Yeah. I, I always start my show saying, so today we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. So I was going to say that um, I always forget how to say his name, but if you're familiar with the songs Nights in White uh, Satin, Tuesday Afternoon, Gemini Graham, Graham Edge. Graham Edge. Graham I always Edge. forget that's, that's yeah. how it's just yeah. a unique way of saying it. Yeah. But like Graham Edge, you can thank him for that because the co-founder and drummer of um, the Moody Blues has passed away mm-hmm. at age eighty. I I think that he passed away from natural causes, from mm-hmm. my understanding. I think that he he just passed away from mm-hmm. a stroke. So, okay. Uh, 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 not a stroke, but like cancer and all that. Okay. So okay. it's a shame. Have you ever listened to the Moody Boo? Oh, I like Nights in White Satin. Yeah, I like that song. I mean, uh, and I've, I mean, I'm not wasn't a huge fan, but that's a great song. No, that's Basically. I think yeah. th- that's actually my favorite one too. That yeah. one's actually a really good song. But I also wanted to uh, say that Gavin O'Harely, who was famous for playing Chuck Cunningham on Happy Days passed away as well. Okay. Now, if you heard the phrase Chuck Cunningham syndrome, it's a famous trope in television history where a character just disappears and no one mentions them ever again. And that happened? That happened yeah. on uh, Happy Days where okay. his character... Just vanished. Vanished. Basically, I think he went upstairs and never came downstairs <laughs> again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, he's famous. He was famous for that. And I think he ha- I think he wasn't in a bad mood for it. I think he was actually kind of happy that he was known for that. Yeah. But I've seen some shows where, like, I was watching a show called Angel and this girl named Kate who's like, has a crush on the main character who's like going through her own storyline and then she just disappears one Mm -hmm. day she's just tired and he picks her up and he never takes her home because i guess because we never see her again on that show have you ever had that Uh, have you ever seen a show uh, where somebody disappeared you know i have to not that not that i can think of off the top of my head i'll have to think about okay dynasty is is the king of all that because i saw some dynasty episodes but Rest in peace to the two of them, yes. and I do want to say that it's time for today, today. in pop culture. Dun there we da-da. go. There we go. So November first, other than the fact that it's Veterans Day, that was la- that was uh, in 2013, November 11th, 
was the last t- video to be rented out. Oh, from like Blockbuster? Yeah. Wow. The last video. What year? 2013? Yes. Okay. And the last movie was called This Is The End. Okay. <laughs> this Is The End. This Is The End. Okay. And it was in Hawaii. And then in 2005 of November 11th, a uh, the Hall- the National Toy Hall of Fame indi- uh, inducted a box. A cardboard box. Really? Yes. Well, you know, kids love to play with cardboard boxes. <laughs> it's one of their favorite toys, little kids, yeah. And they said that with nothing more than a little imagination, those boxes can be transformed Absolutely. into forts or houses or spaceships. Uh, anything. Anything. Yeah. Where anything is possible. And I love that. I just... I think that's like the funniest thing. And also, I don't know if you remember a show called Too Close for Comfort. I, I, I didn't really watch it, but I remember the title of the show. Yeah. yeah. And this show finally premiered. It featured um, Ted Knight. Uh, mm. It featured uh, Nancy Drusot and a couple actors. So there's... It didn't last that long, did it? No, mm, okay. I think it lasted three... It lasted one season on ABC and then it lasted three more seasons on syndication. Okay. So it wasn't super popular, but, you know, it was noteworthy enough to be on this website. Okay. And I was going to say that in 1946, November 12th, Song of the South opens in theaters. What year? 1946. 46, okay. Song of the South is a controversial Disney movie because it's based on the books, uh, the Uncle Ramus And and there's some racist overtones, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Let's just say it's a movie that, if you really think about it, it doesn't work anymore. It's also boring. I've seen it. Yeah, okay. (laughs) And uh, this was also the day, in 1939, the, um, you ever see Fantasia? Of course. Oh my gosh, yes. So Fantasia Fabulous. So Bella Lugosi actually posed for the demon monster Chernoburg for a okay. night on Bald Mountain okay. for Fantasia, but the animator at this time was Bill uh, Tata was not happy with it, so he re-scrapped that. So that was an actual event that happened was Bella Lugosi posed as the monster from that movie. Okay. And then I'm trying to f- I'm trying to get to these really quickly. Give me a second, give me a second. And November 13th, the next day in 1940, literally a year and a day later, Fantasia opens in theaters. Yeah, I I would love to see that again. If you've never seen Fantasia, you really owe it to yourself to see it. It's just pretty amazing. What Fantasia was, it was this big event where apparently what happened was that Disney wanted to do this where every year there would be a new version of Fantasia with new songs, new new animation. But because it failed at the box office, they scrapped it. It was going to be this big event where every year was Fantasia. So they stuck with the original. And yes. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the idea was that every other year would be Fantasia 1945, Fantasia 1950. Yeah. But it just didn't work out and it happens. Oh, well. But you know what? It's That's fine movie. with me because Fantasia, the original, is great. All right. I have to say thank you again to Jeffrey Scott Adair, uh, J- Jim Bentley, and Susan Stein. Wonderful guests today. So much going on. Big seasons is rolling uh, with precautions, with COVID precautions. But go out there and check out some events safely. Get your vaccines, wear your masks, and have fun and stay safe. Have fun, stay safe, and happy veterans. See you day, next everybody. week.